Well, good morning, everyone. I want to introduce to you my assistant, the lovely Alicia, and she's going to assist me in putting these rocks into this jar. So can you do that? Just put those rocks in that jar. That would be great. So good job. She's doing pretty good, eh? It's not a difficult job, but somebody had to do it. She was riding in my car this morning, and I said, can you help me put rocks in a jar? So she's doing a great job. All right, good job. Okay. We're running out of space, aren't we, Alicia? So can you get those ones in? No, they're not gonna. They're not really in the jar, are they? So why 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 can't you get those in there? Because um, there's no more space. Because there's no more space, she says. This mic's not on. Right. It, so is the jar full? Yeah. The jar is full. Is there space in the jar? Yeah, there is space in the jar, but the rocks won't go in, hey? So how about if we got some other rocks? Think you can get more rocks in now? Okay, you see if you can get them in. Oh, no, you can't take them out. Don't take them out. Just put them in. Scoop them. Yeah, scoop them in there. Oh, maybe it'll be easier if we just take hands full. All right, I'll help you. Let's get these rocks in here. It's a good thing my son's a janitor. He's going to be cleaning up rocks up here. Oh, good job. Can we get more in there? Ay, ay, ay. Look at that. We're getting a lot of rocks in there. Uh oh. We're running out of space. Oh, look at that. We got more space. All right. We'll just turn it around so it looks fuller. Get all these rocks in there. Now, this illustration is about time management, okay? This illustrates how we manage our time. So what's, what's the main object of this time here? So is it full now, Alicia? It's full. Can you get any more rocks in there? Can you get any rocks in? Yeah. You can? No, it's full, right? Yeah, okay. So, but is there more space in there? No more space. I think there's more space. Not that much, but I think there is some. Hang on to this. Guess what we got in here? You think we can get some of that in there? Yeah, you think so, eh? Okay, go ahead. Don't make a mess. Right, yeah. Get more sand in there. All right. We'll shake it up good. Get lots of sand in there. Get a big scoop. Big, big scoop. All right. Well, you get the idea, right? You can keep putting all this sand in there. When the sand gets to the top, is it going to be full? Yeah, she's not quite sure now. <laughs> she was pretty sure the other two times. Now I'm not quite sure. You know, is it going to be full when it gets to the top? Uh, what do you think? 
we shake it, it'll be full, right? No, no, it's not, okay? Because even with all the sand in there, we can still get this in there, okay? So we can still pour water into the sand and fill it up with water. Now we've got a really big mess as this thing fills with water. And so, thanks, Alicia, did a great job. Let's give her a hand. All right. Okay, so if this is all about time management, it looks like what the illustration is that you can always jam a little more stuff into your life, right? But I want you to look carefully. What can you jam in? Can you jam some big, more big rocks into your life? No, you can only jam the smaller rocks or the sand or the little stuff that fits in around the corners. You can't jam the big ones in. So the point of the illustration is that we need to put the big rocks in first. Big rocks in first, little rocks afterwards. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You fill the thing half full of sand and then the other half full of gravel, you're never going to get the big rocks in. They won't go in. Uh, that's why when she started taking out the big rocks, she said, no, no, leave that in there. Because once you take it out, never going back in. Okay? And so last week we talked about Haggai. Haggai, the third, third last book of the Old Testament. So if you want to grab your Bibles, look it up. Uh, third last book, you can check it out. And we talked about uh, the important things in life, the vitally important things, and getting our priorities correct and getting on to God's agenda. You know, when last two weeks ago, when my son Jason was heading off to uh, college, we loaded up the van, right? And so I was busy doing some other things. And so the van got loaded, and then they brought out the last thing to put in the van. And it was a chair. And I'm like, you got to put the chair in first. We can't get it in now. So we have to unload half the van and, and shove, shove the chair in there and then stuff the stuff around it. It was a, a pain. But the thing is, the important things and the big things you got to put in first. Uh, I, I've packed for many, many people and helped people move all the time. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. First thing people do is they load all the boxes into the truck. And then they try to jam all the furniture in. And it doesn't always fit. Sometimes it fits, but sometimes it doesn't fit because it's all full of boxes. But if you put the furniture in first, then you can put the boxes in after and kind of stack it on the furniture and around and underneath the table and through the chairs and, and you fill up the space. And so it is in our lives. If we wait until everything else is done and then try to put God into our life, I guarantee you, you will not get him in. And if you wait until you've done everything else and everything is paid for and then you give your tithe to the church, I guarantee you won't have a full tithe to give to the church. And if we wait until our family is cared for and our job is done, and everything is settled, and we've had our entertainment, and we've had our fun, and then we try to do the work for the Lord, I guarantee you will not have time to do the work for the Lord. This is the way it works. That's why in the Old Testament, God said, bring the first fruits into my storehouse. He called the people to put God first, to give first take their money and give it to the Lord. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, people get paid on the 30th day of the month. And then they'll say, oh, well, I'll wait to see at the end of the month. If I have money, I'll give it to the Lord. No, 
the Lord calls us to give first to the Lord. And create, and, and his desire is that first our hearts be tuned to him. And then we look after our other stuff. So in, in the book of Haggai, we saw how the Israelites were all busy with their own houses. You know, they're fixing up their houses to look fantastic. Sort of like what we do here in Canada a lot of times. You know, everybody wants their house to look great. You know, company's coming. Everybody's scurrying around cleaning up to make their house look really nice. That's what they were doing. But they were doing, they were so focused on their own things that they didn't realize that God was judging them. And their work was not paying off the way it should. Their crops were not yielding its, its, its fruit like it should. Their, their, it was like their, their bank had a leak in it. And, and it was leaking out of their bank account all the time. And, and so Haggai comes along and says, well, the reason this is the case is because you haven't put God first. You're busy with your own house, but his house is lying in a shambles. In fact, why don't we just review last week by reading Haggai chapter 1 uh, together, and, uh, and it'll, it'll appear on the screen. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the, whole, the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be a little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth their crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Wow, that's quite a passage. Quite a pronouncement from the Lord. It's very clear. The Lord had withdrawn his blessing from the people of Israel. And I shared last week how I experienced this very same thing uh, this summer, where I experienced the Lord withdrawing his good favor on my life because my focus had gotten shifted to something where he didn't want me to focus. Um, and someone asked me, so are you going to keep building this house? And you know what I said? Well, my partner will. I probably will too. But it's definitely going to be on the sideline. It's definitely a hobby. It is not my, the focus of my life. The focus of my life is going to be on God's, God's things. Um, last summer, I was speaking to a guy whose life was not going well. Couldn't get a work, had a lot of trouble was frustrated with his relationships. He's just having a bad time. 
And I said to him, because I knew that he had walked away from the Lord, I said to him, so did you notice that the Lord's blessing has come off your life and that now you're living without his blessing? He didn't say a word. But I believe the Holy Spirit started convicting him about his walking away from the Lord. And eventually he did turn his life back to the Lord. And, uh, and the blessing returned. Praise God. Uh, God's hand of rebuke is real. Okay? Sometimes we chalk it up to, you know, misfortune or bad luck or that's life, we say. You know, things go wrong and we just kind of go like, oh, well, that's life. And sometimes um, it is just the misfortune of living on a fallen planet, uh, on an earth where that's been cursed. But, my friends, I tell you from experience, there is a huge difference between God's blessing and God's withholding withholding his blessing and i've experienced it for real a number of times i remember one time uh probably about four years ago uh living my life preaching every week and one day the pipes in the wall froze in the drum room and water started pouring down and just soaked the carpet and soaked everything it was a big mess so we cleaned it up Right after we cleaned it up, the vacuum cleaner motor uh, on our vacuum cleaner, it's a central vacuum unit, it, it gave up. The bushings died and, and the thing broke. And then I think it was our car, third, three, three things. I think the car quit all within a day and a half or so. And I was like, I said to Jennifer, you know, if anything more happens, I think God's trying to tell us something. Well, within an hour or two, <laughs> the... The, uh, the hose on the back of the washing machine let loose and uh, the basement got flooded again. I just cleaned it up like a few hours earlier. You know, we had the fans going still. It was all clean and now it flooded again. And I sloshed through the water, turned off the tap and then went out in the backyard and said in my spirit very angrily, so what is the problem anyways, God? <laughs> in the backyard. It was, I didn't say it out loud. It was in my, in my heart. What is the problem anyways? And immediately, God spoke. And he said, I've asked you to be generous, and you're not being generous, so I'm just taking away the stuff that you should be generous with. And I was like, what? I'm pretty generous. I gave a lot to, you know, refugee. I, I did a lot of support last year. And, I, and the Lord just said, that's a pittance. And I was like, what? I was in shock, really. But I realized that, yeah, my generosity had dried up that year. I had been generous the year before, and this year, not so much. And the Lord was just reminding me. You know, it wasn't any big deal that our basement flooded or vacuum cleaner quit or whatever. But it was a big deal that I wasn't being as generous as God called me to be. And it was a pretty hefty reminder of that. And, um, and so Jennifer and I worked out how, how we can be more generous. And, um, you know, so God gets our attention sometimes. You know, I, sometimes you might go like, Pastor, that sounds kind of hokey. I mean, bad luck happens to everybody. And sometimes you get a string of bad luck. It's not a big deal. Yes, that does happen. 
But when you say to your wife, if one more thing happens, I think God's talking, and then it happens, ah, better, better listen, better listen up, better take some time and, and go out there. Uh, I think a lot of times we as evangelicals, we have our theology straight. You know, God loves us, and there is nothing that can remove us from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we think, therefore, that the blessing is included with his love. But my friends, there's nothing more wrong. The blessing is not included. It is naturally included in his love, yes. The blessing is included in his love. But just like a parent disciplines their children when they go astray, why? Because we love them and we want what's best for them, so the Lord disciplines those who love him. And the the scripture says it very, very clear. Now, how do you know the difference? How do you know whether you're just having a really bad day or whether God's trying to get your attention? Well, um, I think... That the God of the universe, he'll let you know. He'll let you know. Because sometimes, you know, it is just the fact that we live in a fallen world. And things are bad. And, and we get sick. You know, like, like today, I think the list of prayer requests that came to me before the service was longer than I've ever experienced before. Does that mean that God is judging our, our congregation and that people are dying and sick and I don't think so, not unless God tells us that. And you see, I believe that God, in his wisdom, will tell you if he's disciplining you. He'll point it out. You see, in my house, I have a rule. If you're getting disciplined, you always know why you're getting disciplined. So my kids, you know, there was no such thing as go to your room. Why? Because I told you so. There was none of that. It was always because you hit your brother, because you destroyed your brother's, you know, Lego or whatever they did. I haven't punished my kids in a very long time. Now I just talk with them, you know. <laughs> but, but that's the, the point is that they always knew why they were being disciplined. And I think our Heavenly Father is at least as gracious as I am. And if he's disciplining, if it's not just the fact that you're part of a fallen world and he's disciplining you, I believe he will bring it to your mind. Now, one of the things is, is we're a little thick up here sometimes. I'm a, I am. I'll speak for myself. I'm a little thick. Sometimes I don't hear the first time God speaks. Um, and uh, I'm reminded of, of Paul. When Paul, when, when Jesus showed up in a... In a uh, brilliant light from heaven and reprimanded Paul for persecuting Christ and his followers. Uh, Paul responded, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to push back against the pricks or push back against the goad. The idea is, uh, have you ever used a cattle prod? How many have used a cattle prod? One person. Wow. Okay. Well, how does it work, Arlene? It works. <laughs> it does. It's got an electric charge in it. And you poke the cattle and they jump. They go. <laughs> and uh, I've used one before getting cows into a, into a stall, in a new prep stall that they didn't want to get into. And yeah, it works. Because uh, they get jolted. Uh, and, but back before there was electricity, they, they used just a poker. And they would just poke the animals. You know, like a nail. A nail in the butt. And that keep, gets you going, you know. And 
And Jesus was basically saying, Paul, I've been speaking to you. I've been poking your conscience over and over and over. And you're struggling. You know it's wrong to persecute these Christians. You know something happened when Jesus died on the cross. You know it, but you're fighting against it. And he was fighting. And you know what? How many of you have been in that situation where you knew God was telling you something and you're like, ouch, but no, I'm not moving. Ouch, but no, I'm not. Okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but a few people did. But I know I've been there. And um, I, I, I'm reminded of this character in the Old Testament because I'm kind of like him a lot. In fact, I'm, it terrifies me how much like him I am. His name's Balaam. You see, Balaam was a sorcerer, a diviner, or, or a man of God. I'm not sure what he was. But somehow he was connected with God, whether through sorcery, which seems highly unlikely, or because God decided to talk to him, which seems more likely. But anyways, uh, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, and they were passing through the land of Moab. And the king of Moab, Balak, he was frightened. He was like, oh my goodness, these people have wiped out the Amalekites. They wiped out all kinds of people. And now they're in my land. They're going to wipe me out. And he was, he was terrified. And so he, he had heard of Balaam. And he thought, oh, this, this uh, pro- prophesier, this, this uh, prophet, I'm going to go get him. And whatever he curses is cursed. And whatever he blesses is blessed. So I'm going to get him to go and curse these people. And so he sends a message to, to Balaam. Uh, Balaam, uh, can you come and, and curse? There's this big group of people, and I'm terrified of them. Can you come and curse them? And uh, so, so he sends these messengers. These messengers come to Balaam's house, and they say to him, you know, Balak summons you to go and curse these people that have come. And Balaam says, okay, fine. Stay here the night, and I will go and talk to God. And so uh, he uses some divination to, to talk to God. We don't really understand. It's a bit unclear whether he's, you know, a, a wrong sorcerer that God just spoke to or whether he was, you know, a believer in God. But anyways, the Lord speaks to him that night and says, don't go with those men. Uh, these people are blessed and you're not to curse them. And so Balaam gets up in the morning and says to the messengers from the king, sorry guys, uh, can't help you. Uh, God won't let me, let me go with you. And the messengers are like, well, we've got, we've got the, the fee for divination. You know, like, are you sure you don't want this? No, nope, sorry, I can't do it. God doesn't want me to. So they, they all leave. They go back to Balak and they tell him, hey, he doesn't want to come. And Balak's like, What? Go back. And he sends higher officials, more important people, and with more pomp and flair and lots of money. <laughs> he brings a big whack of money. And he goes back, they go back to Balaam. And they say, uh, the king says, you know, like, we, you, I really need you to curse these people. And the interesting thing is, what does Balaam do? Does he go, I already talked to God, can't do it. No, he goes, okay, well, I'll go talk to God. You stay the night, I'll go talk to God. He's already talked to God. God already said no. He goes and talks to God. And then something very strange happens. I'm still trying to figure this out. God says, okay, go with them. If you must, but you have to listen to what I say. 
Now, we find out from the rest of the story that that wasn't really what God wanted, even though God gave him permission. And sometimes when God tells us not to do something and he still gives us permission to do it, but he's not really with us anymore. And we find out that Balaam gets up in the morning and he starts going with the men. And he's on his donkey and he's traveling along and all of a sudden his donkey goes off into the bushes. And he's like, stupid donkey! And he starts whacking the donkey to get him back on the trail. And the the donkey gets back on the trail and then there's these two vineyards and the, the, the road is narrow between the two vineyards and the angel of the Lord is standing there in the middle of the road. And the, the donkey veers off into the vineyard. And Balaam gets really ticked off of this donkey, starts whacking his donkey again. And uh, finally the donkey gets back on the road. And now the angel of the Lord has gone to where there's a wall on either side of the road. And it's too narrow to get by him without actually, you know, going through the angel of the Lord. And so the donkey is freaking out and just starts rubbing against the wall. And Balaam's leg is there hanging over the side of the donkey and it's getting all trashed because of the wall. And Balaam starts whipping and beating on the donkey. And then the donkey says, hey, what are you doing? Now, if a donkey said to me, hey, what are you doing? I'd be falling over and going, I'd be paying attention. But not Balaam. <laughs> He's just like, oh, you've been a stupid donkey and I'm beating you. And, and the donkey says, well, have I, served, have I not served you faithfully all these years? And Balaam's like, yeah, but now you're being an idiot and you won't go where I want you to go. And then the Lord opens his eyes and he sees that there's an angel of the Lord with a drawn sword in his pathway. And the Lord says, you know, if your donkey wasn't as smarter than you were, I would have killed you. That would have been the end of you. And, uh, and Balaam goes like, oh, shoot, sorry, I, I sinned. I beat my donkey without reason, and I'm sorry that I sinned against you. So you want me to go back then? Of course the Lord wants him to go back, but the Lord says, okay, go ahead. No, you can go ahead. And it's interesting, you can see this tension between the Lord's will, the Lord's grace, and Balaam's will. The Lord's grace is kind of in between Balaam's will and God's will. And Balaam ends up going, and so they do sacrifices, and he ends up blessing the living daylights from the hilltop of the people of Israel. And then Balak is like, hey, I was paying you to curse them, not to bless them. He's all upset, and he goes, okay, let's go to this other hill. Maybe you can curse them from there. They go to this other hill. Balaam spends the night in prayer. The Lord gives him another prophecy. He prophesies again, blessing, blessing, blessing. (laughs) And then a third time, go to another hill. Okay, you can see the people here, now curse them. And then I'll pay you. I'm not paying you if you keep blessing them. And Balaam starts not only blessing the people, but now he starts cursing Moab and Edom and, and all the other peoples of the area. And finally, ba- Balak just goes, oh, forget this. And they, he goes home and Balaam goes home. And I'm pretty sure he didn't get paid. Now, what's interesting is when you get to the New Testament, you, it, Balaam is mentioned three times. So did Balaam do what's right or did Balaam do what's wrong? Well, three times Balaam's men- mentioned in the New Testament. And uh, I don't know, I guess we didn't have all the passages, but anyways, they were up there. Um, so 
this is the first one, 2 Peter 2.15. So if we can skip down to this uh, slide, 2 Peter 2.15. So here's one of the references to Balaam in the New Testament. Follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. Hold on a sec. I, I thought that he resisted. I thought he was okay. Now, if you look at Jude 1, verse 11, same thing. Next slide. They have rushed, uh, rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Hold it. I, I thought Balaam did all right. Well, this mystery is solved in Revelations chapter 3. Next slide. Uh, nope. That's not the right slide. <laughs> is there another slide? Three, uh, Revelation 2:14. Sorry, there you go. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Hold it, that's not in the story. It's nowhere in the story. Oh, but it is the next chapter. If you go back to Numbers, the next chapter is Israel falling into sin with Moabite women. The, the Moabite women came and danced and seduced the Israelite men, and the Israelite men had sex with them, and God's judgment fell. And you see, Balaam knew that if he could just get the Israelites to sin, then God's blessing would turn into a curse. And so I think Balaam got paid after all. I, I mean, we have to read between the lines. But I think he got paid after all. But you can see the problem. He was toying with sin. He kept toying with it. He kept pushing. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Finally, hey, guess what? If you just send some of your hot women over there, you'll seduce them, and then God's judgment will come. And God's judgment came, and 26,000 people died because of their sexual immorality. Do you see what's happening here? This is why I'm terrified of being a Balaam. Because he didn't outright disobey God. You know, God said, don't go. And then God said, well, okay, I guess you can go, but say what I say. And so we have to be very careful when we walk that tightrope with God. Uh, God wants us to follow him with our whole heart, no matter what. And this summer, when, when my building project was going not well, I had to lay it on the line and say, Lord, no, if you don't want me to build this house, I will not build it. I don't, this is not for me. I'm not interested in it. And if you will, you know, and, and so, but he said, it's okay. That's the sense I got. It's okay, but keep me first. But now I have to walk this terrible tight line to keep God first. I mean, it's like paramount. I cannot get sidetracked by this issue. And now I'm confessing it before all of you so you can all hold me, me accountable to make sure that I, I keep it as the number one. Because that's the way God is. He wants us to be 100% for him. This is what the Bible says. Proverbs 29, verse 1. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed. I believe there's a slide according to that. You know, if we remain stiff-necked when the Lord has told us to get busy with his kingdom, build his house, and we're just like, oh, someone else can do it. I'm not, 
I'm not good at evangelism. I don't know how to do that. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I believe with all my heart that God is calling Eastgate Alliance Church into a heavy season of evangelism, of, church, of expanding the kingdom of God. And God is calling us to be ready, to be willing, to take up the uh, trowel and start building the house of the Lord with spiritual t- stones. Um, you know, when you have a problem, and I don't know if you have, I don't know if you felt the Lord's hand of blessing being taken off your life. I understand what that's like, but there's a solution. Whenever God reprimands his children, there's always a solution. There's always something that he wants you to do. And usually it starts with repentance and saying, sorry for not doing what I should have been doing. That's the usual first step. Uh, just like when you go to the doctor, you know, and you have something wrong and the doctor makes a prescription. So what do you do with the prescription? Crumple it up, throw it away. No, of course not. You go fill it out at the pharmacy. Well, same thing. When God calls us to obey him, what do we do? Do we crumple it up, throw it away? Or do we obey the word of the Lord? In Haggai's day, the Lord rebuked the Israelites, in particular Zerubbabel and Joshua, and challenged them, go up to the mountains, bring down timber, and build my house so that I will take pleasure in it and be honored. There's a sense that God made it very abundantly clear. This is what you've got to do. You've got to get out your saw and cut some logs. You've got to bring them down into Jerusalem. Start building with it. It's very, very clear. And I'm excited to report to you that the people of Haggai's day obeyed the word of the Lord. They were not like Baal. They didn't go, oh, well, you know, like while we're cutting some timber for the house of the Lord, maybe we could have a few slices of paneling for our house too. You know, uh, they weren't like wishy-washy. No, they gave themselves to the work. Um, and they started rebuilding the temple of the Lord right away. If you look in verse 12, verse 12 um, I don't have it before me. Let me see. I'll just look it up. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and jo- Joshua, son of Zodiac, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message the prophet of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. There was a sense of, oh yeah, the other prophets, when they came and prophesied against us, we all got sent into captivity because we didn't listen. So we're going to listen this time around. And we're going to listen to what Haggai has to say. And we're going to start building the house of the Lord because they feared the Lord. They were afraid of the Lord. And rightly so. And I strongly believe that God is calling us to build up his house, the spiritual house of the Lord today here. Um, Building with living stones. uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 5 talks about God building up a house of living stones. They're people. Um, And you know, just this week, yesterday or maybe the day before, we were doing our family devotions at home. And we read through the, the parable of where the, the master has this big wedding banquet and the people who were invited don't come. So he sends out his servants to the highways and the byways and said, yeah, bring them all in, bring them in, bring them in. And that's what he's called us to do, to bring people into the kingdom of God. It's a huge, huge task. It's, it's a big rock. 
We need to get into our time management schedule first. The winning of the lost to Christ. We need to get it in there. Right now, it doesn't fit. Maybe we have to throw some stuff out. Oh dear, I'm making a mess. But we need to fit this into our schedules. We need to fit this into our minds. We need to figure out this is the Lord's agenda and it's not our agenda. It's not even on our, it's not in our day timers. It's not in our, anywhere in our agenda. And I'm ask, I'm suggesting people that the Lord has made my life a prophetic life this year so that we would get this on our agendas, that we would get evangelism sharing with the lost into our daytimers, into our minds, into our hearts, so that we would wake up in the morning and pray, Lord, who would I, who can I share the Lord with today? Can you bring someone along? You see, this isn't just about you penciling in, oh, talk to the neighbor about Jesus. Probably not going to work that way. But if you go to prayer and say, Lord, can you give me an opportunity to speak to my neighbor? And then when your neighbor out of the blue walks over to your house and says, hey, how's it going? And he's standing in front of you and you're like, well, it's going well. Uh, would you like to come to church this week? I don't, I don't know what you would say. But anyways, the Lord will do it, right? Um, I, I'm not at all surprised that God's strongly readjusted my focus. You know, after church last Sunday, a woman came up to me and she said this. She said, you know, I've been waiting for you to preach about evangelism for two years. You haven't said boo about evangelism for two years. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said right at that moment, yeah, I've been telling you that for like three or four years now, haven't I? And I'm like eating humble pie and going, yeah. I've been ignoring the pokes. And God's been telling me, come on, get this congregation rolling on evangelism. And this lady pointed it out, and I had nothing to say. It was absolutely true. I had not talked about evangelism. I knew it. I couldn't say, oh, I think it was on a sermon you might have missed. I knew it wasn't because I knew it wasn't there. I love what Gloria Pitzer said. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me nothing but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. Ay, ay, ay. Abraham Lincoln said, You cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. <laughs> oh, I love that. Boy, have I got a long way to go. Uh, procrastination is like my middle name. Ay, ay, ay. So I want to apologize for my procrastination to you for not reminding us of our main role, one of the main roles. Jesus said, why, why did Jesus come into the world? Well, you know, uh, a few times, let me tell you a little story. When my grandfather, during the Second World War, my grandfather was a vegetable farmer, and he was raising vegetables, and he would hire people from the town to come and harvest the vegetables, and they would get there at 6 in the morning to, to uh, collect the vegetables. But this was during the war. And whenever he hired these men to come, guess who would be there at 5.55 in the morning? The Nazis with their trucks. And they would tell all the hired workers 
No, the trucks don't go in, uh, the vegetables don't go in the, in the wagon, my grandfather's wagons, they go into the trucks. And all of my, my grandfather's produce was put in the trucks. That made my grandfather furious. <laughs> he, he hated the Germans, but there was someone he hated even more. Can you guess who it was? Yeah, yeah. He was one of the Nazis. <laughs> There's someone he hated even more. It was one of his workers, because one of his workers had ratted out to the Nazis when they were going to do the harvest. It was a Dutchman. And it infuriated my grandfather. He never did figure out who it was. It just made him absolutely livid. He would get so angry. And I can imagine, because I, I, I've seen him angry once or twice. <laughs> Don't want to get in his way. But I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than a traitor when your country is occupied by an occupying force. Well, I want to tell you about a traitor in Jesus' day. His name was Zacchaeus. He was a traitor. He worked for the Roman occupying force, just the way that one of these Dutchmen worked for the Nazi occupying force in my grandfather's day. There were these people who would collect taxes from the Jewish people and give them to the Romans to pay for their army. To pay. So in other words, oh, you're taking taxes from us so that your army can enslave us even more. And the pe- these people were hated. They were called tax collectors and sinners. And everybody hated them. And everybody knew who they were. And they were profiting off of the occupying force. And so when Jesus is walking down the street and he sees Zacchaeus in the, in the tree and he says to him, come on down, Zacchaeus, I need to eat at your lunch today. Zacchaeus comes down and he's all excited. And Jesus goes to have lunch with Zacchaeus. And everybody else says, What's Jesus doing going to be at the trader's home? What's Jesus doing? I thought Jesus was a godly man. He's going to be at the home of a sinner, a reprobate, a tax collector. You can just hear the vignette. Oh, whatever. They weren't happy with this guy. The venom in their voice is what I was trying to say. (laughs) Tax collector, sinner. But Zacchaeus has a change of heart and gives away money. In other words, he's working for the Romans to make money, and all of a sudden he's giving away half of his possessions and and guaranteeing that he's going to give away. If anyone he's cheated, he's going to pay back four times. Something changed in his heart. And Jesus said to those people who were accusing him of being with sinners, the Son of Man came not to save those who are saved, but the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And you know, another day, exactly the same thing happened. Jesus stopped at Matthew, the tax collector's booth, went for lunch with him at his house. Same accusation, same response. For the Son of Man did not come to seek and save. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And then in Luke chapter 5, Luke adds that Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Luke tells the story about Jesus, you know, uh, of the lost sheep. He says, Jesus leaves the 99 and goes out and looks for the lost one. He looks and looks and looks. And I remember when I was in, in uh, Mexico City, or Mexico, the, the country, 
uh, one, one of the pastor that was with us, he explained one day what it was like to have a lost son. And Pastor Thomas sat there in front of us all and wept and cried because he couldn't find his son. His son had left home, left the Lord, and he didn't know where he was. And he wept bitter tears. And then he said, that's how Jesus feels about his lost children in the world. And Jesus is weeping for his lost children because he wants them to be found. Whose disciple are you? Are you Christ's disciple? He's calling you to leave the 99 and go and find that lost sheep that is lost. And then he tells a story about the woman who had a lost coin. And she sweeps her house and he cleans up everything and looks and looks and looks and looks and finally finds the lost coin. And then brings it, has a huge celebration. And Jesus says, this is how the angels in heaven rejoice when one lost sinner is brought to repentance. And Jesus is saying, this is my mission from start to finish. I came to give my life for this mission of saving the lost. Won't you join me in this work of saving the lost? This is the kingdom that we are building. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is said, this is our mission. It's the same mission as him, his, to go out and seek and save the lost. That's our mission. <laughs> you know, one time, David's son Absalom wanted to speak to Job, the commander of the army. And, and so Absalom sends Job a message, come and talk to me. Job ignores him. Sends another message. Job ignores that one too. Sends another message. How many, how many of you are frustrated when you send a text and an email and a phone call and leave a message and nobody gets back to you? Urgh. You know what Job or you know you know what Absalom does? He tells the servants, Oh, Job's field is next to mine. Go set it on fire. <laughs> Burns up all the barley and in the in uh, Job's uh, field. Guess what happened? Job came running. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I don't advise you to try this. But I wonder if Job, if God doesn't have to set our fields ablaze to get our attention once in a while. And maybe God has to attack the things that are most precious to us. God attacked the things in, in Haggai's day. He attacked their wealth and, and the work of their hands. And nothing was prospering. And, and, you know, Jesus makes it absolutely abundantly clear. If you love father or mother, brother or sister more than me, you have no part of me. God has to be number one. What is God going to take away from you to get your attention? Your stuff? Your job? Your family? I don't ever want to be in that place where God can't get a hold of me. And I certainly don't want to be like Balaam. <clears throat> now you might say, well, I don't think God operates that way. He doesn't. 
He doesn't bring judgment on us. We're his children. We're evangelicals. We believe in God's love that once saved, always saved. And we're, you know, God says he'll be with us always. So he'll never, he'll never do that stuff. Well, this is what Jesus said. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. That was Jesus in Revelation chapter 3. So what about the big rock? Here's the big rock. It doesn't fit in here anymore. The big rock of evangelism. You going to get it in there? You might say, well, evangelism's not my gift, Pastor. Well, it's not mine either. I've never, ever felt like that was my gift. I'm always terrified when I share Christ. But yes, I have led hundreds of people to Christ. How come? Because I just was obedient. I just, I, this has to be done. And, uh, and maybe it is my gift now. I don't know. It certainly wasn't my gift when I started doing it, I'm telling you. Um, so the Israelites obeyed the word of the Lord. How about you? Now look at verse 13 in uh, Haggai chapter 1. Verse 13, God comes along and sends Haggai back. And Haggai says uh, to the people, the Lord Almighty says, I am with you. If your heart is changed and you decide, yes, I'm going to build Christ's kingdom here on earth. I'm going to go out and I'm going to evangelize. Yes, I'm going to do these things. If that's in your heart, God's going to come along and say, hey, I'm with you. In fact, what did Jesus say after he said that great commission? You know, go into all the world and and make disciples of all nations. What did he say at the end? And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He promised he would be with us. You think he'll be with us when we do absolutely no evangelization? The promise is to those who are going out evangelizing that he'll be with us. I think he'll be with us no matter what. But there's a way higher chance that he'll bless us in every way if we're out fulfilling that call and then uh, then in verse 14 it, it says so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel son of Shetail governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua son of Zodiac the high priest and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people I love that Something happened in their hearts. God used the preaching of Haggai to touch their hearts. And their hearts were kindled. So it wasn't like, well, I guess if we, if we want God's blessing, I guess we better start working on the house of the Lord so that we don't keep losing all our crops to drought. No, it wasn't like that at all. The Lord worked in their hearts. They got all excited. They're like, yes, it's time to go build. Let's do this. Come on, everybody. Let's do this. They got all excited. This is the way I believe God is calling us into evangelism. It's not like, oh, man, we got to do this evangelism thing. We got to give them the best news the world has ever known. We got to give it to the people. Otherwise, they'll go to hell. So I guess it's our responsibility to do this and give God's grace to everybody. No, that's not how we're supposed to do it. 
We're supposed to go, yes, we have the gift of eternal life. We get to give it to anybody who wants it. Anybody who, we can spread it around to whoever wants it. This is awesome. And that's the change of heart that we all need. God needs to change our heart. That's only something God can do. I can preach like this forever, but unless the Holy Spirit touches, pricks our hearts and says, yes, go. I've called you. You're my chosen servant. Start praying for your neighbor. Start praying for that colleague. Start talking to him. Start looking for opportunities. When that happens, his kingdom will go forward. And then the very last thing. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord. Who came? They. All the people. Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people together. This is not a time for pastors to stand on the sidelines and go, rah, 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 everybody go evangelize. This is a time for pastors to get involved. This is a time for elders to get involved. This is a time for all of us to join together. When we all do it together, it's way easier, way better. Um, you know, I asked for people to come and talk to me after last Sunday's service. Uh, a few people talked, but nobody gave me any, any ideas but one. One person gave me some ideas about evangelism. Um, and I'm going to share that idea with you because I thought it was a really good idea. Um, And so God is calling us to build his kingdom here on earth and to reach out to our neighbors and friends and family with the message of the gospel. Will you join me? This is scary. Will you join me? I don't hear anything. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Someone said, obviously. (laughs) I love it. Well, here's one way. Let's show this video. I thought it was a pretty cool idea. There's enough time to do this, to plan. Have you ever felt the need to share your faith with a neighbor or a friend? Then Christmas is the perfect opportunity to make that connection. In a recent survey by LifeWay Research, 47% of adults feel that Christmas is an appropriate time to talk about matters of faith. I want to share a fun and simple way for you to share your faith through what's called a Christmas gathering. A Christmas gathering is simply a holiday party. And who doesn't love a party? There's plenty of good food, a time of sharing of Christmas traditions, along with a brief non-threatening talk about the life of Jesus. It's a chance for you to invite neighbors or friends into the comfort of your home and allow them the opportunity to hear about the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Inviting people into your home is a simple, non-threatening way for you to bridge that gap. Most people love to be invited and included because they feel disconnected or isolated in their neighborhood. They look forward to connecting and spending time with people in a meaningful way. I know this is something you can do, and you'll be glad you did. So that's a great idea. Invite people in your home at Christmas time. Have a Christmas party. Pay for the food. I want to tell you, if you would like to do this, I will offer you the full support of our church, including myself. If you would like me to come and give the little Christmas talk, I'd be happy to do that in your home. Uh, you're going to give me Christmas dinner then anyways, right? So it's a good deal. So, But that, I know that's one of my gifts of talking, telling stories. So... 
you know, I'll come and do that at your house if you, if you have a few people. I don't care if it's one person or five people or a hundred people. I'd be happy to come and just do a little very short, very non-intrusive uh, something about Christmas. And that way you're off the hook. Yeah, my pastor forced his way over here. He said he wanted to talk to you guys. You can blame me. I don't care what you say. Okay. <laughs> but I would love to do that. Um, and so, you know, and maybe, maybe you have, and I will say, like, maybe you say, well, I don't have funds. I can't pay for a Christmas meal for 10 people. That's too much for me. I'm telling you, the church will be behind you 100%. You tell me the day, you, I'll send, send you the, a check for 200 bucks the, the week before. Go buy all the food. Let's do this. Let's, let's get it off the ground. You might say, well, I can't cook. I don't know how to do it. There are people in this congregation, if they find out that you have a party that you're putting on, they'll come, they'll cook for you. They'd be happy to do that. I know there's dozens of people that would be happy to do that. Hosting it, inviting their friends, yeah, that's frightening. But yeah, come and cook for you, sure, anytime. So, but the real, the real work is, is hosting it and inviting your friends. And I want to just say, will you do this? Will we do this? You know, you might go like, well, I'm, it terrifies me to invite my friends. There's another way of doing it, okay? And that's this. Uh, next slide. <clears throat> Last slide. So it's friends for dinner. You can sign up, and they'll send you complete strangers into your house for the same purpose. You don't have to know them at all. They're from different foreign lands. They're wanting to know what Christmas is like in Canada. And you can just invite them in and you can just tell them the Christmas story because that's what you do at Christmas dinners. And uh, yeah, uh, you can invite me to that too. I'll come. So really, this is for everybody. Even those who are absolutely petrified about inviting people into their house, you can get someone else to do the inviting. And they'll just phone you up and tell you who's coming and when. And, and that'll be it. So you, but you got to sign up early. I'll, in fact, I would encourage you to sign up you can sign up for Thanksgiving or Christmas right now, but in, in about a week, the, the Thanksgiving will be over. You won't be able to sign up for that anymore. Uh, just go to Friends for Dinner. It's easy to remember. Friends for Dinner. Uh, type in Ottawa, and, and then there's a little button you click, and then you type in your information, and boom, you're signed up. You give them a date when you'd like to have the party, and uh, they'll send you some foreign students who are visiting Canada, you know that there are hundreds of foreign students who would love the opportunity to be in your house. So you can share the gospel with them. They, they don't have any problem with you sharing the gospel. They want to know what, what it's like to be Canadian. And a lot of them think that all Canadians are Christians, so why, why burst their bubble? You know. So these are a couple areas. I, I would still love to hear from you if you have ideas, if you'd like to be on a committee. We're still working on this. I just want to encourage you as a church, let's, let's get on this. Let's Let's heed the voice of the Lord and let's, let's build his kingdom. Let's go out and reach the lost. That's where God's heart is at. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not fill up our Christmas schedule with all the other stuff and then try to fit this in later. But Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart for the lost and that this would be the big rock that we put in first for our Christmas planning, for our Thanksgiving planning, for our weekday planning. Lord, may evangelism be that big, important thing that we put in first. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep 
the, the vital rock of talking with you and praying and reading our Bibles. Lord, help us to do that daily. And Lord, help this evangelism to come out of that relationship with you. Lord, because it's your heart for the nations. And when we get close to you, Lord, I know that you, you start pricking our hearts that we need to share our faith. So Lord, we pray that you would do that very thing. Father, we pray your blessing on this people, Lord. May we be obedient and may your blessing fall on us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.